a lot of people probably don't think anything bad of me. They probably don't see the disability. They probably don't see it as, you know, as a big hindrance than what I think it is. But I'm the one who's probably holding myself back the most, which is the, the crazy thing in a way. That's Taylor Harvey. At eight years old, he was diagnosed with transverse myelitis, a rare neurological disease that initially paralysed one of his legs. I thought it was just pins and needles, dead leg, you know, I'd get down and walk it off and, you know, went down on the ladder, put my, tried to move my right leg, completely collapsed and I thought this is, you know, not right. Doctors said there was a chance it could have left him quadriplegic, but through rehab he regained partial function in the damaged leg and eventually found himself back on the sports field competing against the able-bodied without even realising he had a disability. Multiple times when, you know, I was playing able-bodied sport and I'd like get home and I'd be like nearly in tears pretty much saying, why can't I execute this skill? Taylor's life changed the day he was told he could qualify for Paralympic sport. He soon excelled at soccer, rising through the ranks to play at international level and for the first time in his life, found somewhere to belong. Unbelievable, I've been working really hard towards this and hang up on the phone and pretty much burst into tears. But living with a disability is never easy, and Taylor is very open about his struggles with body image and low self-esteem that stems from living with a part of himself that he doesn't like. I feel kind of reserved when it comes to anything when it comes relationship-wise, because I'm like, why would someone ever like me when I have the disability that I do, when people nine times out of 10 or 9.5 out of 10 wouldn't know the difference and wouldn't care at all. He's the first to admit he hasn't got it all figured out, but he's working on it. Welcome to Young Blood, a podcast all about young men's health. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our mission to talk about the stuff that matters and isn't talked about enough. Let's do it. This episode is proudly brought to you by Beyond Bank Australia, one of Australia's largest customer-owned banks. Beyond Bank has a strong focus on lending a hand to some of those working on the broader challenges that impact our community and is a big supporter of Young Blood's mission to improve mental health. Taylor, what are the chances of getting transverse myelitis? Ooh, last time I checked, it was around one in a million. So pretty rare when it comes to, I guess, getting transverse myelitis. It's one of those viruses that probably too many people have heard of in their lifetime, let alone, you know, now. Yeah, I certainly hadn't. Take us back to when you were eight years old. What do you remember about being diagnosed in, in that time in your life? Well, the weird thing about being like getting it at eight years old was I felt you know, probably less scared than I would have been if I was like, you know, same age now. I didn't know the severity of what was actually I was facing at the time. I was pretty much, you know, in rural South Australia. So 40 Ks outside of Tintinara and pretty much nowhere really. I got woke up one day and I couldn't move my right leg at all. Um, me and my brother were in the same room. We had bunk beds. I was on the top, top bunk and then tried to get down. I thought it was just pins and needles, dead leg, you know, I'll get down and walk it off and, you know, went down on the ladder, put my, tried to move my right leg completely collapsed and I thought this is you know not right and obviously as a scare precaution you yell out to your mum she got up you know early morning and you know straight onto the phone to the doctors and you know for that time I was you know had no idea like I was just waiting for my ability to come back and you know, I'll take a you know medicine or a drug and everything would be fine so I went to Adelaide um, Women's and Children's Hospital and um, yeah by then I was pretty much in the hospital and I stayed there for about two weeks pretty much and you know pretty much used as a you know, pin cushion for that time. And what did they say to you about it? What did they think it was initially? Was it clear? Well, I didn't really get told much. I think most of that was probably translated between, you know, doctors and, you know, my mother. So, you know, I know that, you know, one of the main things I got done was, you know, a lumbar puncture, which is obviously, you know, a needle that goes into your spinal cord to get spinal cord fluid. And I think that's the way they kind of assumed that, you know, I had transverse myelitis and, um, 
yeah, I guess I didn't know too much of it. I was obviously just saying, thinking like the doctors, they know what they're doing. They're going to make me better pretty much. And, you know, it took a long time or days and days of slow improvement when it comes to rehab and you know, seeing specialists whilst there for two weeks, you know, but, you know, it slowly got better and I started to be able to walk again. And I'm like, this is the new normal. You know what I mean? It's not like um, I didn't know what normal was. I forgot kind of that sense of, you know, what's I should feel like mm. with both functioning limbs or legs sorry so yeah that was the weird one and that was my i guess new normal in a way what is it can you just explain what it actually is because yeah i don't think i, I really think knows. my understanding i please correct me if i'm wrong anyone who knows <laughs> or has a you know degree in, in medicine but um it's kind of like my in a layman's terms my body kind of tried to fight something that technically wasn't there so i think it was a, maybe a reaction to influenza b or something like that so you know my body said you know oh something's happening gotta go fight this you know illness or you know whatever happening so they went to fight it body and then you know it attacked my spinal cord which as you'd imagine for anything that attacks your spinal cord it leaves scarring and um when it comes to scarring it leaves you know nerves obviously um i guess has the best way to describe that it stops your movement from your limbs and that scarring stopped the movement from my right leg and um yeah that was a very scary moment and um yeah, pretty much where I'm am now. You know, it probably hasn't changed too much since you know those, all those years ago, maybe 15 years ago now. So just talk about the rehabbing process and going through that. And was it like it gradually you got more feeling back in it? Or yeah, well, like the feeling was like it's. I never really lost. Probably felt like I lost feeling. It was more like the coordination and movement. Like at this point in time, you know, I think the rehab side of things was like you know in. You know, uh, like, you know, inside a pool stretching, you know, all that stuff, you know, stuff that you can kind of use that movement and slowly kind of had that resistance. And I remember when I first got out of hospital, I was given, you know, crutches in a wheelchair, obviously for support when it comes to tiring. Because I think early doors, you know, tiring in that leg was, you know, very, very prominent. So like, you know, it might get to a stage where I'm running around playing football or something along the lines of sport. And, you know, my right leg would kind of like, kind of like, doze off or like you know shut down for this over overexerting itself and yeah it pretty much was that really like i what did the doctors tell you about it and like you know how severe it could be or, or what the deal was well funnily enough i didn't know the severity of it or like my situation until i was like you know at least 18 19 right so that was did, so did they say anything to you at the time no about no well i didn't like i think from what my um looking back now i think um i spoke to my mum you know the years after i found out how severe it could have been you know she like you know i got told when i went away you know she, she said you know there's a possibility you could become you know could have easily become like a quadriplegic and you know at worst you know a vegetable like a vegetable and um so was, worst case scenario that's what can happen with yeah this. well i think i'm very lucky my condition didn't progress further than it probably could have you know i don't know the actual percentages of how likely it is to press on to you know something like a quadriplegic or you know losing limbs movement i guess full time but yeah, it was just, you know, obviously a scary moment looking back. But like at that time, I probably wasn't, as I said, you know, as scared as I probably should be. If I was, if I went to through it now at the age of 23, I'd probably be having a fit and, you know, kind of like not knowing what my life would be like yeah. pretty much. But after you, you went through rehab and you had this sort of new normal, um, you didn't think of yourself as disabled or you weren't told that you were disabled when you were a kid? No. Well, growing up in Tintinara, which has probably population of maybe 300 if at best so obviously a very small town 300 3000 300 300 yeah not Far much out. it's like you know, a couple of families i thought you must be wrong no <laughs> no no typo there so i went uh, to tintanara area school and that probably had at, at most when i was there maybe 100 kids 
Right, so okay. that's year from like receptions to year 12. So my year 12 class had under 10 people in it. No so, so very small. And, you know, during that time when I was eight, nine, you know, it was when I started playing, you know, junior football for the first time. So, you know, going out to trainings, I was, I was actually in a cast. And I remember one of the first trainings I ever had was I had like a colored cast on my right leg. And, you know, I was out there, you know, training like nothing would happen pretty much. So did you view it as like an injury that would heal? Yeah. Well, I felt like, I'm not sure if it, it comes to a stage where I thought, you know, that this is what normal is. I've, I've kind of lost that sense of what normal feeling or normal movement would be. So this is what I have to deal with. So like, you know, obviously being right footed and right handed for everything, you know, sport was always going to be affected. And um, yeah, I just pretty much had the ability to think that best case scenario, I, I could have not been able to play sport you know, ever again, but I have the ability to you know do something that I literally love to do. It's my, you know, everything pretty much. How do you explain the way that it feels just to give people a bit of well, an understanding? It's kind of like your your brain wants you to do something, but your body can't cash the checks pretty much. So for what my situation is, I can't really move my like function of my ankle. So if I try to do, you know, maybe a like rotation, move my like foot around and all that with my ankle, I wouldn't be able to do that. And it'll kind of be a bit of stuttering, but you know, the strength isn't there, the balance isn't there. So if I was balancing on my left foot, I could do that for like, you know, minutes on end but if i do it on my right foot i'd be wobbling pretty much straight away so it's the balance and coordination's the most affected part of it so that's one of the hard things because you can't see it from the naked eye but it's so do you feel sort of off kilter yeah all the time when you had to train yourself to be able to rebalance and yeah and cater well, for it? With, when it comes to well, like soccer you know i had to i pretty much learned how to kick with the other foot because i thought that was going to be more of a you know potential to like had that less possibility of you know skill error so I can still use my right foot, but like it just sometimes that, that coordination, as I said, you know, your body wants to do something, but you know, your mind it's wants the to controls do controls not, not there. Yeah, so exactly. It sort of has so those random movements. Yeah. Sometimes. And that coordination. So like, for example, if I'm taking a touch with soccer, you know, I feel like, you know, I'm, my foot's in one place, but it's not. Mm. So, you know, I'm com- thinking that, you know, I'll put my foot here, it'll be perfect touch. And then, you know, it's not what I expected yeah, to be. The brain's not communicating yeah, in the right so, way with the, with the and, limb. And it comes across obviously has, you know, if you're doing like training able body sport or just normal, you know, football, soccer, whatever you're doing, it you kind of it. feels like, you know, you're just you know, not caring or, you know, you're not kind of like, you know, giving a stuff pretty much when it comes to, you know, sport. And like, I'm one of those people who like, who train like four or five times a week just on my skills and mm. like going on that. It looks like I don't train at all pretty much. So what did sport mean to you as a kid? Well, that was everything for me. Like I've been in a very small community, football on a Saturday was pretty much, you know, everyone did it you know it's a social occasion everyone would come from around you know the area that you play football in when it comes to your league so everyone jumps in your car you know your brothers your sisters you go to a certain spot you spend their entire day there you play your sport and you come home there's not much else on yeah exactly it's pretty much if you don't play sport it's a very lonely place you watch yeah exactly so like you know it's one of those things that i always enjoyed whether it be watching you know um playing or you know just even just watching like no professional sports it's just something that you know i always grew up in it was a sense of like security and normalness you know i've always watched up like grown up watching these sports mm. and you know it's this it's settling it's something that i can kind of know that regardless how my week goes on a friday night football's going to be on or you know on a saturday this sport's going to be on it's something that i could kind of set my watch to and set my calendar to regardless of what i was feeling or how i was during that time but when you were playing sport as a kid um you weren't viewed as obviously the the disabled player or no. pe- people didn't really know about it no well that's a, that's the thing like I'm, i was very fortunate that i never really got any 
um, I guess, you know, ridicule or, you know, some people might say like, you know, oh, no, what's like, what's wrong? You look a bit sore. I remember one game, must have been when I was in under 16s or so, maybe about 15, 16 years old. You know, I went on to the ground or whatever and I was like, you know, obviously limping a little bit and one of my coaches pretty much said, you know, oh, come off, you look really sore. I'm like, no, nah, I'm literally fine. No, no problems at all. He's like, no, nah, you obviously sore, come off. And then I said, like, literally it's pretty much nothing. Like, you know, I'm always like this. And he's like, nah, mate, you definitely got something. So I'm not going to risk you going out on the ground. And I was like, um, that's probably one of the things that probably frustrated me in a way that's, you know, I, I didn't have that visual aspect. But say if I did something like, you know, a poor skill execution, I would take that personally. I, it would come across and I'm thinking, what are people thinking of me? Yeah, like it seemed like you were just uncoordinated or that yeah. you, you weren't practicing much or you oh, weren't, exactly. weren't, much, weren't when, much good. When everyone, like, you know, a lot of people, a number of people would have known that I rock up to trainings, you know, maybe like half an hour, an hour, sometimes before the game or like, you know, trainings and you know, do do running, do like skill execution. So like, for example, like Aussie rules football, you know, shots at goal, you know, just doing as much as I can with the ball. So putting the hours in more than anyone else. Yeah, and, and then not must, getting the reward. And it seems like to you at the time and, and to others that, oh, he just doesn't have it. Like Yeah, and that that is hard as well because, like, you know, you grow up with a lot of people around the same age and you go through, like, hoping to, you know, go up to the highest level. So, like, for example, A-grade football or whatever, you know, you see other people who didn't take it as a seriously but then from natural skill progress further when, you know, for example, myself, you know, I put all the hard work in and, you know, I just didn't come off in the end purely because of Bobby, you know, I'm not saying that I would have been a you know, superstar if I didn't, like, you know, have my disability, but it still just hurts to think that, you know, all this hard work kind of went for nothing really. Mm. But it put you on another path that's yeah. been brilliant in a whole different way. Yeah, so well. Talk about the the shift where, you know, you went through your teenage years still playing sport but not quite putting it together and not quite understanding what the deal was with your leg and then having that that last hospital visit and what yeah, happened well, from there. Yeah, well, it's funny because, like, I, I credit my ability to play Paralympic sport due to my own insecurities because I was maybe 16 or 17 at the time, so I must have been 17 during my last um, checkup before obviously going to take, like, stuff to the RA and all that. So, um, yeah, I remember – I had like very insecure about my body at that stage during that teenage years. And I looked at, you know, mirrors in my room and I'd see that my, one of my legs were more muscular than the other. So I was like, you know, pretty much look at me. I'm a, I'm a freak in a way. And, and not something that other people notice, but you noticed. Yeah. Well, it's something that I was like, oh, I'm sure everyone's seen this, you know, like, you know, how can people look at me the same way? It's so obvious. But So it really played on your mind. Yeah. And I was like, went to my mum and all that and it's like, you know, I really like this is really bugging me. Can, you know, can we book a kind of checkup and, um, you know, just speak to someone about it. So I was like, oh yeah, you got to check up at some such and such time. We'll, we'll bring it up there and went there, had my last checkup, you know, pretty self-explanatory. They would go through everything to see if like, you know, how it is, if you progress further or you got worse. And is it the sort of thing that is a, is a risk for life? Like it can. I don't think there's no chance of it ever getting better. Like it's okay. probably not going to get any worse, but probably not going to get any better. So probably where I am now is probably what I'm going to experience for the rest of my life. Mm. And I remember, I can't remember what his role was, but he was in the background and he said, have you ever tried, you know, thought about attempting Paralympic sports? And I remember hearing that and I'm like, no way. Like, you know, I'm not disabled, you know, disability is only for people in a wheelchair, losing a limb or, you know, who has like, you know, you're blind or whatever. So I'm like, nah. There's no chance I'll be like, you know, I thought of that, that movie with Johnny Knoxville, The Ringer, you know, like doing something that like, you know, tricking the like um, 
competition to think I'm something that I'm not. So I'm like, oh yeah, I don't think I am. But he said, nah, here's a contact. Please get in contact with this person and, you know, go from there. They'll do a classification and they'll let you know if you're like able to qualify for Paralympic sports. I'm like, no worries, get this done. And then look for all the list of sports and always been a team sport oriented person. I'm like, oh, you know, may as well try soccer. It's something that I had a huge passion for before, you know, being disabled. And, and these are sports that they have at the Paralympics. Yeah. So that's seven aside. So, um, no, I looked at that and I'm like, that's perfect. That's right up my alleyway. You know, I'll try that out, go to a tryout and we'll go from there pretty much. And so how were you viewing it at that time when you saw yourself as not being disabled? How did you go into that? Well, the, the weird thing was I got in contact with the, the States, um, like Paralympic soccer coach and they said, oh, I would love to have me, you know, at this stage, like, um, you know, they probably had maybe 13, maybe 12 people there. So I was like, um, at the time I was like really nervous. I'm like, am I going to go there? And all these people are, you know, unbelievably physically disabled and I'll be the odd one out. And I'm like on the way there from Adelaide to Tinti. So it's like a, maybe a two year, uh, two hour drive. And I'm like, what am I going to expect when I get out this door? And what, what am I going to be seeing? And, and you're thinking that all their parents are going to glare at you and, yeah, and they're going to be like, what's this yeah, guy I'm doing like, here? Yeah, I'm like, mum, turn this car around pretty much. I'm like, I don't want to, no, I'm now like kind of wanted to get out of this. And I looked up there and I'm like, they can't be the same kids. You know, obviously some like people obviously have more severe disability, but there was like three or four people, five people who have pretty much looked exactly like me. And I'm like, this can't be the same people. Rocked up there. It's like, oh, this is a team. Nice to meet you. And then from there, I was like, this is unreal. This is the first time I've seen anyone else with a physical disability pretty much. And so what did you start to learn about disability then in, in finding other people who were in a similar situation to you who didn't have a very obvious disability but obviously still qualified as disabled? Yeah, well, that was the main thing. Like going there, it's it made me kind of feel normal in a way. Like it, like I wasn't battling something alone. Like talking to someone else who has a similar disability with me, they pretty much understand completely what you're going through. So, And that was the first time you really got to do that because it sounds like you grew up thinking of it as not that much of a big deal even though it bothered you and certainly yeah. thinking that others would – don't, they don't know about it, but if they did, they'd say, oh, what, what's the big deal with that? So that's sort of how you... Yeah, well, I, I remember one, with. like there's multiple times when, you know, I was playing able-bodied sport and I'd like get home and I'd be like nearly in tears pretty much saying, why can't I execute this skill? Why, why am I doing like when putting you're doing all, this, all, all the training, all this work for nothing and people are just looking at you like, what, a, what an idiot, can't kick, can't do this. Like I feel like I should have been somewhere else, but I was at this level. So being on a Paralympic like football team, pretty much presented like an equal playing field for me so you know i do all this i take a bad touch i make a um, bad ball you know they're like don't worry about it i do this all the time it's pretty much common knowledge and like it's something that you know everyone's going through so mm. it's like you know i found like i had a second home or a second family in a way when it comes to joining that team and you felt like you could go your hardest and practice as much as you could and apply your skills but you weren't at that disadvantage that you'd always felt you were at without really understanding yeah, why. I think that's one of the one things that I kind of, I have a good, like, you know, I love thinking about what other people think of me, even though that might not be the case. So I might overthink and say, oh, my coach might be thinking, oh, this bloke, you know, he's useless, get rid of him or whatever. But like, you know, going there, I never felt like, I never felt like I was being judged the way, like, or someone was over, the, like looking over my shoulder going, you know, you know this bloke's alive. Yeah, that was all in your head and you had yeah. to get over that. Yeah, like, and it probably still happens now. Like, I play able-bodied soccer now, and um, I still think that because, like, you know, even you know, on Tuesday night when I've trained, you know, I had an absolute shocker, and I'm like, oh, other people watching me must be thinking, oh, why are we carrying this kid? You know, you know this bloke's, you know, 
not doing as like pretty much, you know, a liability as I said, but like, um, yeah, being a part of that team, it was like, I never felt like I was being judged or never felt like I was, you know, at any risk of people saying, you know, this, you know, this isn't good enough. We understand, like, it's more, has the best way to describe it. We had people you could fully relate to for the first time. Yeah, the people can go, don't worry about it. It happens to everyone. Go again, try again next time. Like, you know, like anything, like it's just that support that I didn't get as much. I I guess it's something important for people to understand about disability that it doesn't all fit into one category or a blatant category. It's, it can be so many different things and things that aren't immediately obvious, but it's still a disability. It still has a massive impact on your life and the way that you have to live and and see the world. And, and you're, you're an example of um, you know, how important that is and, and, and that that is an, another part of the picture. Yeah. Well, like it's not just sport. I've got to live with this through like, like working life or like, you know, any, every 24, seven, you know, seven days a week, you know, probably for the next, hopefully 50 years, you know, I'm going to have to wear this, you know, I've had moments where, you know, I, I trip over, you know, what seems like flat surfaces and like, you know, people looking at me, I'm like, as I go back to people i think people are judging me and go like you know why why have i done that you know i must look like an absolute knobhead you know doing all, all that or when you become a paralympic player and people say oh but you're not disabled oh, yeah have well you, have you had that or? i've had people who go even at work they go i heard that you got a disability you know i i don't want to be rude but i'll ask him what your disability was and the weird thing is that they might think, you know, when it comes to disability, you can't see anything visually. It might be, must be like mentally or something like that. So like that's far from the case. I'm all cognitively there. And um, yeah, like I'm, I'm always open to obviously letting people know about like obviously my journey and all that. And I think they're really like, you know, like a lot of people probably get slightly, I guess the word inspired, like, you know, where they just don't believe what I went through in a way and people going, wow, you know, I think of you more highly now than I did before after learning about that. So what was your soccer journey from initially playing state and going out and, and getting into it? How quickly did it progress from there and where did it go? Well, it, it literally probably couldn't have gone any better. Like early doors, I um, got selected for the South Australian state team for must've been 2014. So I would have been 17 at that time. And at, later in the year went to Coffs Harbour where the national titles were being held. And, you know, we pre- performed pretty well. We, made it to the bronze medal match and we ultimately lost that that match um three two I reckon to Victoria and I thought, oh, how good is this? You know, I'm gonna be potentially doing this for like 10, 15 years. And then you know, I didn't feel like I set the world on fire, but you know, I felt like, oh, there's something to work on. What position do you play? Center of the field. So like, you know, generally as a, a number eight, which is obviously central midfield or number six, which is like a defensive midfielder. But okay. you know, I felt like that was, you know, how good is this? I'll be able to, you know, progress and hopefully do you know something in maybe three or four years maybe be in contention for the national team and did that really become the main focus of your life or the, the best part of it yeah well view? i was like this is my main goal i want this to be my life i want to be able to travel around australia travel around the world to do this and you know maybe well maybe a couple of months later i got a phone call saying that you know you've been selected for the under 19 um seven aside team that's going to go to nottingham england in 2015 so the, the next year and i'm like how quickly has that come around? And at the same time, I was invited to the, the senior team, um, you know, training camp early in that year. So it must be March or April. And I'm like, how good's this? You know, I've pretty much peaked and done stuff that, you know, some people dream of doing in, you know, space of probably 12 months. Yeah, pretty, almost unbelievable, really. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I could, I could be doing this for however long. 
And I went to, I think it was in August of the 2015, I went to England to compete. I, I think we played four games there. So um, I, I played in two of them, which at that time I was like, oh, you know, probably could have gone a lot better than, you know, personally the way than I probably would like to. But I was like, it's a great experience. I got to be involved with a, a national team set up. You know, I can take that as an opportunity. And I'll, I'll, next time, would it be next year, a couple of months from now, I'll, I'll do better next time. And then there wasn't the next time for quite some time, pretty much. So did you, you tried to make the, the Rio team? Um, unfortunately for us, we didn't qualify for the Rio Olympics. So I think due to our world positioning, I think we were um, outside the top 10 at that stage. I think we are like a 13th or 14th. But you're in the team that would have gone? Um, I wouldn't have probably gone if, if that was the case. If, it, if we did have a team, I probably wouldn't have been you know, part of that team anyway. So I was frustrated that, you know, that. But you were at the, tr- the point where you were trying to make that team? Yeah. So I was I'd like the in 2015, I took like we probably have maybe two training camps a year where everyone comes together from an entire state to go to like New South Wales. And I was part of early, the first um, training camp, which every year they have a world championships for the seniors. So regardless of like, you know, whether it be the Paralympics or whatever, there's always a world title that we're competing for pretty much. And, you know, um, I thought I was going to be a part of that senior team or at least, at least in the mix. I didn't make that final cut and I thought, no worries, I'll try again next year. Don't worry about it. And then, um, yeah, as I said, that that didn't come for probably another five six years yeah right so what happened in that time you're so, still playing but yeah what I was changed still, still playing still training and you know during that time i was going to uni i was had like obviously a lot of important time in your life pretty much you're setting up your your career and all that stuff and we don't get paid to play so it's you know mm. you go to your own way to train you know you, you do your best to prepare yourself and get yourself in the best physical condition to be able to be selected but being a part of the south australian team the South Australian team then kind of kind of stopped for a bit. Like the program for, you know, the South Australian Paralympic team kind of like stopped. We thought, no worries, we'll, it'll be back in a couple of months or a couple of weeks. Don't worry, we'll get through this. Then a year passed, two years passed, and I'm like, I now my pathway is becoming less and less clear. And so that's because the funding's not there for these kinds I, of I think sports? so. Like I don't want to put words into mouth or whatever, but I think, I think they probably just didn't feel like, you know, it was worth the you know investment and putting the money into it, and when mm. you know there probably wasn't the support that probably people that wanted. Like people in football federation South Australia would have liked. I'm not sure, but what mm. the case was, whether that was. So that's tough to take though when you when you're feeling like the way you were feeling about being so excited about it and obviously being really good at it from the get go, and then having that opportunity taken away for a few years yeah. by no fault of your own. Well, it's it's pretty much like split up a family in a way, and I was very fortunate that during that time when. South Australia kind of like took a hiatus from the Paralympic program, Capital Football, which is obviously, you know, um, the ACT and I guess surrounds kind of st- started up their pro- uh, their program. And during the stages, they were kind of like looking for extra players to bolster their squad because they wanted to participate in the next up and coming nationals. And they pretty much reached out to anyone from South Australia, like, you know, um, you know we want to op- offer the opportunity for like maybe a combined states team. From like you know players that didn't make it so you're playing for them yeah so probably for what was it maybe two years i was playing for them and at the stage obviously starting up a program you know you never were ever going to compete against the biggest states like new south wales their state teams pretty much made of 85 90 percent of the national football team yeah so you're pretty much playing the australian paralympic national team against a bunch of kids who kind of pretty much are just getting into the sport or having the opportunity to play on a a relatively high stage. Okay, so you had to lead that team. Yeah, well, like I, I 
was one of the more experienced kids and I was like, you know, 2021. 20, so I was like, regardless, I was like, I didn't know because you don't train with these people. So, you know, you, you're away for nine months, 10 months of the year, and then you just come together for, you know, no, like, you know, one sporting occasion and you know, not playing with people. It's kind of hard to kind of get a, a glimpse of, you know, how to play, how you want to play. And then you kind of have to go from there. And, you know, from that stage, we didn't win too many games, obviously during the, you know, early stages. And then I think the year after we kind of, you know, won the bronze medal. So that was like oh, no a, way. an unbelievable achievement. And yeah, for some reason, I don't score many you goals. You take full credit for that, I'm sure. No, when the bronze medal match, I don't score many goals. And I managed to score a brace. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this afterwards will know that I love mentioning about scoring that brace in that um that um, bronze medal match. But nah, yeah, they're all tap-ins pretty much. So they all count the same, look the same <laughs> on the paper pretty much. <laughs> what was meant to happen this year? You get another national call-up? Yeah, well, that was fortunate. Like um, they end up giving me the call-up and... Yeah, that was uh, one of the biggest moments what of was, my year. What was that call up for? The a training camp in, would have been April. So that would have been and the AIS Academy in um, Canberra. So we would have been there for however long, I think a weekend. And, and that would have been pretty much a selection camp really for, you know, the upcoming world championships, which would have been held in Barcelona around, I think, June or July this year. And so finally you'd got things back up to the point where it was exciting again and you were back on the radar and then obviously – it all fell apart. Yeah, well, I remember when I got the phone call from the call up, I, I had the contact saved in my phone. So, you know, I saw the ring and I'm like, he's not ringing me to see how I'm going. Just a, a quick chat. I knew there was like, you know, it's going to be either, you know, we've considered you but bad luck or you've got the, you know, got the spot. And they pretty much said, I've got the spot. I was composing myself the whole time saying, I seriously appreciate it. You know, unbelievable. I've been working really hard towards this and, Press, um, hang up on the phone and pretty much burst into tears in my car. I was finishing work and I'm like five or six years of hard work and this has all come down to this and like, you know, I've got the opportunity and this is what I've been wanting or striving for for years and uh, all those kilometers I've been running, all those training sessions I do when everyone else is not doing them, it was actually leading to something. It was something that I really thought that, you know, this is a chance if I get my foot in the door, I could be doing what I expected to be doing or wanted to be doing at 17 or 18 years old. But then it didn't happen. Yeah. Um, a little thing called COVID-19 <laughs> took part. And um, yeah, by the time I got told that I was taking part in the, the um, training camp coming up, I probably would have been a month later than that. We got told that pretty much every border was going to be closed down. You know, they were still optimistic, like, no, no worries. It won't be as bad as what it is. And, you know, we'll, we'll probably get a, somehow get a um, world championship yeah. out of it. And I think at that time, Spain and Italy were one of the two countries that were hit originally like the um, yeah, you know, hardest. So I'm like, happen. yeah, no, no chance of so doing how that. how much did that hurt not having that happen? I thought that was a, like, you know, it summed up 2020 for me. It felt like, you know, I finally got this opportunity and then someone kind of like gave me a nice old punch in the gut pretty much. You know, it was you know, all this hard work and then I thought, you know, this is my one opportunity I still now think like we don't know what everything's going to look like in two weeks time, let alone two, like 12 months time. So mm. I'm like putting my best foot forward and playing as much football as possible to make sure that my list, my name still stays that on that whiteboard when it comes to our next camp, whenever that may be pretty much. So what have you learned this year? It's, I probably try to keep my year quite simple in a way, you know, I'm a very simple man. Like I, I love my job and I love to work and I love my sport. So, you know, my, I guess my release, my therapy is playing sport, you know, whether it be just going for like, you know, 
long distance runs or, you know, going to the, the pitch and having shots at goal. It's something that gave like how stressful this year has been. It gave me something to kind of just like, you know, cut off everything, you know, how's it best way to describe it? Like, something else to focus on. Yeah. yeah. It's a release, you know, you know, regardless of how bad your day is, you can get in the car, go down the pitch and just forget about everything for the, for that time and period. So for an hour, for two hours, you're pretty much, it's just you and the ball. I've got to be doing as much as I can, you know, with, within reason, I guess, without obviously overdoing it. But like, I felt that. How do I, you go doing all that now that you, you work full time, you know, as a, as a regional journalist, that's a job that requires a lot of hours and a lot of energy. How do you manage to, to do all this and also um, invest in it, knowing that it's never going to pay the bills in any way. And that's another element to all this for the, a lot of those Paralympic sports that um, they require a huge amount of training, but they're not necessarily going to um, put the food on the table. Oh, exactly. Well, we pretty much, if anything, we pay to play pretty much. We pay to represent our country. So I felt that, you know, it might not, like I'm doing all this work. And as you, as you said there, it's during that regional journalist job, it's, it's, you know, your week's completely, you know, you can't set your, your weeks, you know, and say Monday's going to be like this, Tuesday's going to be like this. You might get a phone call at five o'clock in the, on a Monday and go, can you please be here? So the five o'clock you were expecting to be down running around now spent going to an event, going to a function, you know, covering a certain story. So, you know, that kind of, it's tough because I've got to kind of take it day by day and get to like, you know, maybe, four o'clock or five o'clock and go, all right, I've got nothing on. I'll have the bag packed and I'll get in the car, travel a couple of minutes down the road and then you know, be there for an hour, an hour and a half. And you know, there might be a week where I might not be able to do as much as I can, but I'll try to make up for that in other ways, whether it be on the weekend or you know, one afternoon or one evening after I finish work. And now that daylight savings is going to be my best friend now, obviously longer days. But it's different to when you're a teenager, you know, now that you're a man and a working oh, man yeah. and you have to actually make life work while trying to oh, play exactly. at an elite well, level. Well, if anything, you know, job is obviously the priority because it's paying the bills. It's, you know, keeping me, you know, alive pretty much. It's barely, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's it's keeping the lights on, as they say, yeah. and, you know, everything else out is an extra. So probably 0.01% of people, you know, at the age of where I am, have like nearly everything sorted out. You know, I'm 23 years old. I'm still, you know, yeah, you can go finding you, the ropes. You can go easy on yourself, man. You've done a lot. How do you view your disability now? I think it's a lot better than what it was maybe when I was 16 or 17. I was like, um, when I, during that stage where I was my late teens, I would, you know, pretty much look at my body and go, I hate myself. You know, I want to look this way. I like early doors. I'd, you know, pretty much nearly starve myself in a way. Like literally, like um, got to a stage where you know I probably in twelve months dropped like fourteen, fifteen kilos or whatever, and you know literally just you know like I look like looking back, you know I look like quite fit, but like you know it probably wasn't healthy doing so when because you didn't like the way you looked and you were trying to compensate. Yeah, I felt like you know if I could do this somehow, if I can look a little bit better, I would you know see myself as more positive or whatever you know. Right. So you thought if you have abs, it'll take away from the legs. Yes, but like you no know, people would see me in a positive light and go like, "Wow, he looks really good." But the whole time, did did you ever get the um, impression that people really? noticed or cared much at all was it really i, I would literally if i had a guess i would have thought that no one would have cared at all like that's the main thing i still like even looking back now i still have the same mindset you know i still think people who are judging me all the time and you know when it's completely false pretty much probably majority of the time some people might just look at me and go so oh. it's a really tough mental obstacle to yeah come well to terms it, with it's it's probably as you've probably spoken to a lot of people on this podcast it's probably easy for someone to go oh no don't feel like that you know don't feel bad no worries, I'm now cured of my depression or like, you know, 
or you know um bad body image you know it you doesn't can't, work like that no you know it's all this stuff it you can get told whatever you want but end of the day it's up to you to make the changes to benefit yourself even now i get ups and downs where i mean i kind of look at myself in the mirror i can't even like you know touch my body so you mean your whole body so you, yeah so i like like not just focusing on my leg you know but I, that's sort of the the basis that it comes yeah. from that you just have sort of general well, body image issues it's, it's weird because like i've i've always looked at it and one of the main things that i like for years i've thought like you know why would someone like for example say relationship wise like why would someone settle for someone who's cons- i perceive as broken when there's a possibility that you if there's like you know maybe 3.5 billion people or um males in the world you know you could easily pick someone that's not physically broken so has it has it been a, a problem for you mentally in in relationships and that sort of thing i've only had one real relationship and you know i look back at it now i'm like you know geez i could have you know handled that a lot better not just the way i've treated people but like you know like she couldn't understand why i was feeling this way or like perceived myself as um i guess bad looking yeah, or you so know, that insecurity like, yeah and made I, it not work yeah well she, like she probably would have been frustrated to go like you know probably every second day or whatever i would have been probably saying something along the lines of it i feel kind of reserved when it comes to anything when it comes to relationship wise because i'm like why would someone ever like me when i've have the disability that i do when people nine times out of ten or nine point five out of ten wouldn't know the difference and wouldn't care at all. So how do you get past that when logically you know that that is the case and that it's not going to change and it's down to your mindset and your self-perception to, to get around that? What like work do you do on that or self-talk? That's hard because like, you know, I I try to be as, like, as confident as I can. Obviously, it's hard when, you know, you have a low self-esteem and you don't feel, like, feel as, you know, good about yourself at times. But I feel like... I still have a lot of work to do in that space. You know, I'm, you know, when it comes to talking to the opposite sex, um, <laughs> let's just say that, that it probably hasn't gone as well as I would like. Um, yeah. Yeah. But that's still that, working that makes that one you out. no different to, to millions of other. Yeah. Well, men. that's what, that's, it's weird. Cause I don't probably think of that. Like, you know, there's probably Joe blogs down the road who's experiencing the exact same thing. It's not easy to go bang, get in a relationship. But I think, you know, you stand out to me now as an impressive young man who's done a lot with your life in a short time and, and taking on that career, getting the education, then doing the sport to the high level, all while having this disability, coming to terms with that, like showing some real resilience and intelligence and a whole lot of ability. You can't view yourself as broken, you know. Yeah. What, it's, how, how do you go forward? You know? It's tough because, like, as I said, there's moments where, you know, like earlier in the year, I felt probably like I was floating on air, like, you know, how good is this, you know, um, everything's going right. But then I could be thinking that, you know, moments now that I'm, you know, feel like, you know, I'm the, the worst person on the, on the planet just purely through looks. So it's weird. I, I, I said I might be living for another 40, 50 years yet. So I don't really want this to be a huge hindrance to something that, my career, I, I'm very career orientated and I feel like, you know, there's a, there's a great opportunity for me to do whatever I put my mind to if I really go towards it. And I don't want this to be, I, I guess, a, a way of, you know, maybe limiting my potential of doing stuff. You know, I might have that lack of confidence that might stop me from applying for a job or, you know, doing something that, you know, I guess individually that like a venture that I might would do if I was, you know, more confident. It's, it's a weird one. Like I don't, 
can't probably have an, like a, a good answer for it. But but it hasn't hel- it hasn't held you back from no, achieving well, so much though. You're well, giving could, yourself more proof all the time and more evidence that you can achieve despite having this hindrance. Yeah, and I think you gotta you gotta let that give you that self belief and and focus on that. Yeah, you know? well, I could have like I'm, I get told all the time and like from my parents or you know close friends. You could have, I could have easily, you know, thrown in the town at eight years, eight years old and go, you know, you know, poor me, you know, feel bad for me. You know, I've got a physical disability. Now my life's over. You know, you should feel bad and I should be, you know, given stuff on the silver platter. Like I've never let it be, uh, I guess it, it might not seem like it, but I've never let it be an obstacle for not trying things. So I don't want it to be like a, a hindrance and be But it hasn't, man. It hasn't, it hasn't stopped you so far. You've just said that. So why, why would it stop you going forward? That's a hard one. Like I, it wouldn't. If if I had the if I had the answers right now, I'd you know wouldn't be here pretty much. You know, t- telling you how about my struggles because you know as you said there, you know there's a lot of positives that's gone on in my life and there's so much potential to go on with and you know I see it, but sometimes you know that my mind's telling me actually here's some you know negative thoughts about yourself to think about. Yeah, well you're, the night. you're you're aware of it and you've got some struggles there that a lot of people can relate to but i suppose it comes down to that self-love and, and being kind to yourself and and not that you should never feel that way or that it's not normal to feel that way at times because we all do but to make sure that you're bringing yourself out of it and make sure that you're remembering all that you have achieved and giving yourself credit for that and showing yourself that you can do whatever it is that you want to make happen in your life no i probably care about other people before i care about myself more of the time so we have moments where I probably should be focusing a little bit on more on myself and making sure that you know I'm in a good frame of mind or you know I'm in a position where I'm you're not thinking about these things because you know as you imagine sometimes it will hold me back when it comes to you know potentially things I can do in the future yeah well, I think it's it's powerful that you're able to be that aware of what you're going through and that open about it because that's a good step towards fixing it your message is disability is not black and white it's not a one size fits all um, people who have a more minor disability can still be massively affected by it throughout their whole life and they can still achieve incredible things. Yeah, and if you could probably speak to every other probably person who's part of the National Paralympic team or even people who would just, you know, have disabilities and, and, and in general, they'd probably be able to say the same thing and, you know, um, you have the same perception of them. It's, it's a lot of people doing some great things, you know, not letting this disability be a hindrance to them and like, you know, end of the day you wake up in the morning and the world's not going to kind of like you know stop for you push on because you know it's 365 days of the year pretty much or like you know a whole year of um you know work plus times that by maybe 40 50 so plenty of days to live and you can't let one or two bad days dictate your entire life because you know biggest probably hindrance to my life is sometimes me a lot of people probably don't think anything bad of me they probably don't see the disability they probably don't see it as you know as a big hindrance than what I think it is, but I'm the one who's probably holding myself back the most, which is the the crazy thing in a way. There's a lot of people backing me and cheering me on. I just got to listen to it sometimes pretty much. If you're a fan of the work we're doing or have a suggestion for the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment. You can follow Youngblood Men's Health Matters on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube and visit our website youngbloodmedia.com.au to stay up to date. And most importantly, if this conversation resonated with you, share it with someone you love and start a conversation of your own. This is Youngblood. Thanks for being part of the mission. Catch you next time.